going on, everybody? It's your buddy, it's your pal, Spaz Phoenix, the YWC Reality Check, and it's finally here, last week in WWE, episode one. Um, this is going to take over from what I was doing with the Triple H era podcast, because I thought that was only going to be a little bit of a thing, but with WWE getting more and more positive and AEW going in the other direction, it really does make me want to talk about WWE more, and there's a lot to cover, and I could do individual reviews, and I'm not really going to do that. And you guys know I don't really review pay-per-views. I would much rather preview them. Um, so yeah, this is what it's going to be. It's going to function uh, the same way as the Triple H era pods did for the four episodes that I did. What's going to happen? Every Monday, you're going to get a pod that dropped wherever you're watching this right now, be it on Rumble, be it on YouTube, be it on all your podcasting platforms, iTunes, Spotify, etc. It's going to drop at 10 o'clock my time, Monday morning, so you're nice and, and ready and set to listen to it right before we go into a brand new week starting with Monday Night Raw, and then we're going to go from there. We're going to go over Raw, we're going to go over SmackDown. I'm, I'm going to say right now, this week we have two pay-per-views to talk about and we have NXT to talk about. I'm not always going to talk about NXT because whether or not they give me something to talk about still has very, very much to be shown, to be proven, etc. There's a reason I stopped reviewing NXT and obviously not every week are we going to have pay-per-views to preview. So realistically, this is two and a half times the podcast you're going to get with a normal last week in WWE podcast because normally it's mostly going to be Raw, SmackDown, and what I think we gained over the course of the week. Yes, as I said before, this is going to be a predominantly positive podcast because I think right now WWE is the predominantly positive company and because WWE are the big swinging dicks in town, if you want to find negative connotations on WWE and anything that they do, there's multiple sources out there. I'm sure you can talk to Deluxe Man. I'm sure you can talk to JD from New York. I'm sure you can talk to any What Culture podcast that has Michael Sidgwick on it. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of stuff. But I'm trying to be the other side of the coin with this. I'm trying to be the Simon Miller uh, on this particular topic. I'm trying to be, for those of us that remember our friend OK Fabe, I'm trying to come at it from that point of view and give you not necessarily a blindly positive thing, but I'm going to say, or at least I'm going to show you guys why I think the positives are well outweighing the negatives right now. Now it does need to be said, and I'm going to keep driving this home so that people know exactly where I stand. Vince McMahon got fucked out of his job. I fully believe that, but Triple H taking over WWE is better for all of us. Two things can be true. Triple H is better for the company. I don't like how he got there. Those things are always going to be true. You can hit me up in the comment section and tell me how terrible and misogynistic I am. I really don't care. Um, for, for all of you that want to know whether, uh, whether I'm going to do a pod on all the dumpster fire stuff that is happening over in the other company, that is entirely going to depend on when and where I can sit down with Guapo and record that pod, because that's not a pod that I can completely cover on my own, because I might, uh, I might go off on tangents, and Guapo's good for keeping me kind of on task. So, let's go through the pay-per-views really quickly. We had a really loaded weekend last weekend. What did we have? We had Clash of the Castle. We did have All Out, which was a good pay-per-view in and of itself, and we had um, sort of the randomly thrown together NXT Worlds Collide because we needed to get rid of all the UK titles, basically. So I'm going to go over these quickly, not in very much detail. The detailed reviews of these shows are out there. You can find them. Um, any What Culture podcast that 
doesn't have Michael Sudrick on it, perhaps, I will say, go check out Joe Cronin, go check out Good Mike Work, go check out all these guys that do way better reviews than me just sitting here in my room talking into a microphone. Uh, Clash at the Castle was good. Big, huge, nice crowd for the people that are like, oh, they had to tarp off some areas. It's like, okay, cool. They still had a huge audience. Only six shows as well, or, or sorry, only six matches as well, which gave it kind of a takeover feel, which was kind of nice. Uh, the opening match was Damage Control versus uh, Alexa Bliss, Asuka, and, uh, and uh, Bianca Belair. There we go. So we didn't have a Raw Women's Championship match, but the match was good. The match was solid. It keeps Asuka and Alexa Bliss in the conversation. Everybody's happy to see Bayley. Um, the the new come up of Io Sky and Dakota Kai is still a new enough thing that people are excited about it. And no way, shape, or form in Wales was Bailey going to be considered a heel ever. The reaction for her was absolutely fantastic. The match itself got time because there was only six matches on the on the show. Everybody got time, and uh, we got the reaction. Or sorry, we got the result that we needed. Bianca Belair did not need to win this because she's yes, she's the champion, but it's a tag team match, and she's facing a bunch of uh, dastardly heels doing dastardly heel stuff. Bailey gets the pin over the champion, and they get their momentum back after these same three people cost them the Women's Tag Team Championships. We're going to talk about those later on. Bailey gets the pin, sets up her versus Bianca Belair, which... I've heard two mixed things. If you're listening to this on Monday morning, either we're getting Bianca Belair versus Bailey this week on Raw, or we're getting it at Extreme Rules. I'm not entirely sure which is which, but that's fine. It it, it is what it is. Great opening match, got everybody going. There was a there was a six man tag on the pre-show that was just kind of thrown together. I think it was was it Theory and the oh, it was Theory and the Alpha Academy versus. Street Profits and Madcap Moss. Madcap Moss is weirdly over. Like, they haven't really defined who he is, but he is weirdly over. Next match was probably the match of the night, I'm not going to lie. Um, it was one of the most... Okay, now that we have different people in charge, we can get different types of matches, and these particular people can have their particular kinds of matches. It was Gunther versus Sheamus. I do think it's cool, and I'm going to... I might. I may talk about this later when we get on to SmackDown as well. Sheamus... Is, is a workhorse of the company, which is an overused cliche. He's always been a respected guy, but he's never been presented in a more respectful, prominent way than he has been in the past couple of weeks. And him having this group with uh, Rich Holland and Butch, and yes, we still roll our eyes at the Butch thing, but hopefully that's changing soon too, is... It's making him this, this heel that's likable, and he's going up against Gunther... And, and his guys who are more heels, so they're situational babyface for the night. So that was kind of fun. Imperium, Ludwig Kaiser goes out to make his big uh, announcement, and we think he's about to introduce Gunther, and he introduces Giovanni Vici, which is, of course, Fabian Eichner, and Imperium is complete, which is awesome. And, I mean, basically it balanced out the two sides. Each one, each one of these guys had... Uh, had two bits of backup. I mean, either one of these teams could go up against uh, Roman Reigns and the Usos, but we'll talk about that later. These guys, and I said it in my preview, but I didn't give it the pr premature credit that it deserved. These guys beat the fuck out of each other. Sheamus, and yes, I'm going to use another cliche, Sheamus looked like absolutely beat-up hamburger at the end of this match, to the point where he got the respectful loser's playoff 
um, you know, every now and then when you really want to let the audience have the moment to give their respect to the guy that didn't win the match, they get a chance to, uh, to play their music and let the audience do their thing. And they did that here, and it was really heartfelt, and it was all these guys that are f from, you know, that side of the world. My geography sucks, so I'm not even going to try. But uh, why is my pop-ups popping up on my phone while I'm trying to do a video. That's not cool at all. Um, I will say, the only downside to this is nobody thought Sheamus was winning this, so it was kind of like a really, really, really popular choice going up against The Undertaker when The Undertaker still had the streak. Um, you know, should have been CM Punk that took that streak, but I mean, nobody knows how to use CM Punk. That's fine. Moving on. Really, really cool match. Really, really nice big gigantic crowd to introduce uh, Giovanni Vinci in front of one less uh, one less body on NXT but you know two-thirds of his group went up it's kinda like back in the day when we were doing call-ups and they did the women's revolution thing and they brought up the three teams of three and it was very strange and you ha of the four horsewomen in NXT you had one that was left behind in Bailey so when Gunther and Ludwig Kaiser, I fucking, fuck it, Walter and Marcel Barthel, when they went up and, and uh, Fabian Eichner stayed in NXT, it was sort of like, you know, the, the little kid on Simpsons, you know, wait for me, I've got tiny legs, hey, I'm here now. So that was kind of cool, even if you don't really like Imperium, and I get it, they've been, they've been hit and miss in their presentation, they were presented great in NXT UK, but nobody watched NXT UK, they came to NXT 2.0, and what they were didn't fit in NXT 2.0. And then they came to the main roster, and all the names are different. We don't really need to worry about that, but the group themselves are back together. And as a trio, which we're going to talk about later, they are pretty imposing, even if they're not your cup of tea, which is fine. Liv Morgan defeated Shayna Baszler. And it wasn't just, uh, you know, Shayna Baszler slipped on a banana peel and, and Liv Morgan fucked off. I mean, she kind of did, but she kind of was presented in a way that was like, okay, you're a submission person, and they showed her, um, oh, what was it? Oh, yeah, she was training with Matt Riddle, who makes 100%, I mean, the two of them are, are two fun characters, they're two likable characters, you can believe that they would hang out together, even if that's not actually true, but also in the sense that Matt Riddle is an MMA person, Shayna Baszler is an MMA person, that would make sense, hey, give me a leg up on what I can expect from this, and, Li and Liv put a lot of submission stuff into her game, and she just, you know, only takes three seconds to, to retain a title, and that's, it is what it is. Um, it sucks in the, in the sense that we thought Baszler was finally going to get her, her payoff. In my preview, I had said, hey, I, I love Liv Morgan, I love that she got to have her happy moment, but Baszler's been waiting a long time for hers. Let's get her with the belt on, let's get her in there with Rousey, let's get her with with Ripley, let's get her with Becky, etc, etc. Not just yet, we'll talk about what's happening more when we get to SmackDown. Edge and Ray versus, or sorry, yeah, Edge and Ray versus, um, what, what the hell are they called? Judgment Day. There we go. Very, very, very good match. Really liked it. Love the love the little touch of Edge coming out with a Luchador mask. That was great. Them uh, basically ignoring Dominic throughout the entire match was a nice touch. The psychology was there. Rhea Ripley on the outside just toying with Dominic just leaves it open for way too much, like less than PG comedy that they're never actually going to do. Somebody said on Twitter they're going to recreate the live sex celebration, except it's going to be Rhea pegging Dominic, and I'm like, 
that's really wrong, but it's also really funny, and it, and it kept us up with the end as well, because Dominic tripped, I think it was Finn Balor, uh, which led to the 619 and the spear and the baby faces getting the win. Rey Mysterio doesn't know that his son helped him. He goes and celebrates with Edge, sort of leaves Dominic in the corner. Dominic absolutely boots Edge in the dick, loses his shoe in the process, and then clotheslines the hell out of his dad. Now, everybody was saying, you know, oh, he's going to do the electric chair, and he's going to drop him with the electric chair, but he just he just did this clothesline instead, which is funny for two reasons. A, because it's a kid doing it to his dad. B, because the kid is so much bigger than his dad, and it looked like it caved in Ray's chest. And apparently this was a... I didn't go, bother to go back and look, so you'll have to excuse me. But apparently this is a callback to how and when uh, Eddie Guerrero turned on Rey Mysterio back in the day. Now, you see... Dominic Mysterio, he's getting a bit. Of, he, he was getting a little bit of the mullet. He's got a little bit of the, the shady mustache, goatee thing going on. So there's a lot of tribute esque things going on there. And I'm just like, this is fucking good. What killed it for me though? What absolutely killed it for me was the camera t pan to the corner where where Judgment Day, who've just been beaten, who've lost, you know, uh, Damian Priest, Finn Balor, Rhea Ripley, have the most evil smiles on their face, and they're just cackling their asses off, and that made it so much better. Um, moving on to things that we've been waiting for for a little bit, Rollins defeated Riddle in a really, really badass match. I'm glad we waited for this, to be quite honest, built a little bit more story between the two. Matt Riddle got his name back. Isn't that nice? So Matt Riddle is Matt Riddle again. Rollins defeats Matt Riddle when Matt Riddle gets you know, over overexcited, over frustrated, goes for a chair, smacks it into the table instead, and Seth Rollins takes advantage, and gets the win, the reaction of which we're going to talk about later on, but I just, it's so good, because the entire time, Seth Rollins has, like, been mentally fucking with him, and we've finally gotten, like, he's fucked with him so much that we finally have a serious, not-so-stoner Matt Riddle, and they did all the stuff with, oh, your family's fucked up, and oh, Becky wears the pants, and all that kind of stuff, so, you know, okay, these funny guys that are too funny guys are putting the funny aside, and they're being serious for a second, yes, yes, that works, it's fine, it's cool, whatever, um, but Rollins defeating Matt Riddle, Rollins, despite the goofy character, whether you like his goofy character or not, has been taking a lot of L's. He needed a win. People love Riddle. Riddle can let a defeat roll off his back like water on a duck or whatever the expression is. So everything about this works. Everything about this works. Makes you want to see a rematch. We know we've got extreme rules around the corner. He's got a chair in his hand. Hey, what the hell? Why not have a chairs match? Hey, let's go. Roman versus Drew. Now. Now. I said in my preview, and this is this is not just me going like, hey, go back and listen to my preview, because that's pointless now, but I said there's so many different things, so many different people that could get involved with this, um, that that's more interesting than the match itself. But there was no Sammy, there was no Usos, because they were taken out by Drew on that pre-recorded SmackDown. Uh, there was no Kevin Owens, which was me, sort of me pulling at strings anyway. There's only there's only the beginning of a thread of of that story. Karrion Cross and Scarlet were in the audience. Uh, they provided a distraction at one point, but that's about it. Um, Austin Theory, who also got his name back, good for him. Nice stuff. Nice uh, nice to have people with their full names. He came down and tried to cash in again, and he got knocked out by Tyson Fury, and I laughed a lot. Um, so the match went on, the match went on, the match went on. Uh, Drew actually got a spear in and went for the pin. And the referee, I love when they do this. Not uh, not that somebody randomly runs in and decks somebody or whatever, but somebody sort of like slowly, quietly just pulls the referee out. And it's not that 
somebody has stopped the pin, it's that somebody has stopped the referee from counting the pin. You know, big dark figure, big dark hoodie, hoodie comes back, and it's fucking Solo Sokoa from NXT, who's awesome. Along with Carmelo Hayes, I've been saying for a while, for those of you that have been paying attention, the two that they needed to pull up from NXT were Solo Sokoa and Carmelo Hayes. Was it Carmelo Hayes? Yes, it's Carmelo Hayes. Uh, Solo Sokoa being right here, being basically there in place of the Usos and Sami Zayn, so he's worth three people in the eyes of, of Roman Reigns, was a nice, neat little thing. It's a proper call-up with a proper reaction in a, in, a, in a big, big match scenario, but also you have used the main event of this big stadium show, so treat it like a WrestleMania, treat it like a SummerSlam, to introduce this person from NXT, and that's a whole lot better than just, eh, here's a video package, he'll be here in a couple of weeks. I thought that was fucking great. Watching him walk out, of the, without the Usos, without Sami Zayn, without anybody else, watching him walk up the aisle, sort of, not literally, but metaphorically, like, arm-in-arm arm with Roman Reigns, Roman Reigns uh, sort of giving the invisible nod to this brand new character, Roman Reigns, the guy that basically reigns over WWE, pun definitely intended, was a big shot in the arm, and immediately, even if you have no idea who this guy is, it says, take a look at who this guy is. Now, what they did after the match... Uh, again, the crowd getting a lot of chances to show their, you know, their love and respect for Drew McIntyre and what he's done tonight and, you know, sort of homecoming, even though it's not really a homecoming. And then what was supposed to be only for the crowd, but somebody just left the camera on, was him doing all the karaoke with Tyson Fury and, and all that kind of thing. I don't really care. Like, oh, he's supposed to be sad because he lost. But I'm like, yeah, but also he's in front of like 60, 70,000 people on his side of the planet, at least, with a huge celebrity like Tyson Fury, if you give a shit about Tyson Fury. And, you know, they're having a good time. And story-wise, yes, the character of Drew McIntyre should be pissed, should be heartbroken, whatever. The actual human being behind Drew McIntyre should be able to celebrate with the crowd base that is this happy to see him win, lose, or draw. So, I get why people are against that being part of the show, but also you need to you need to get a real problem, in my opinion. Switching gears now, in the, in the words of Michael Cole, we're going to switch over to Worlds Collide. Now, Worlds Collide was not nearly as grandiose because it's in, in the 2.0 dome or whatever they're calling that place. And... It was a very thrown-together show. It was a... NXT UK is going away, so let's do a show to commemorate that. Which is which is fine. And, and we brought in some people from Raw. We brought in some people from SmackDown. We brought in all three champions. Sorry, I guess I should say all four champions from NXT UK to get those titles unified and, and whatever. Basically to get the belts off of the UK people. Um, so it was just a really sort of... If this was a regular Wednesday episode, or sorry, Tuesday episode of NXT, it would have been a really highly elevated episode of NXT. As a pay-per-view, does it fit right after Worlds Collide, which was gigantic, at least in its scope? Probably not, but it was a lot of fun. It was a midday show leading up into All Out. I think everybody on both sides of the argument between WWE and AEW was looking more forward to All Out, which is fair enough. And... Uh, and this is sort of like a like an appetizer, so to speak. Sort of a oh, they're doing some uh, wrestling in the middle of the day. Let's see how that goes. Let's uh, let's kill some time with this. And as far as that goes, they knocked it out of the park. They started it with Carmelo Hayes versus Ricochet. 
and it was for the North American Championship. I don't think anybody... I, I thought, uh, for those of you, again, that saw my preview, I thought they could have done some really creative things. Maybe have Ricochet hold the title temporarily, use that as a way of bringing Carmella up to the main roster, have, uh, have a little bit more back and forth between the main roster and NXT. But it does make a whole lot more sense for Ricochet to just come down, have this match with Carmelo Hayes, put him over, and, and, and call it a day, which was fine. What we got out of this, take the title out of the equation for a second, I will make the argument for you, um, not, not including All Out, but as far as WWE product goes, this was the match of the weekend. I wish this match had been added to Clash at the Castle because this match in front of that size of crowd would have been fucking phenomenal. Um, Carmelo Hayes is a star. Trick Williams is a star. That act could come up to Raw or SmackDown. He could lose his title and follow Ricochet to SmackDown and just keep it going, and I'd be absolutely fine with that. Um, but he does get to look good. Ricochet gets to look like the Ricochet that we know. The one that did the leap and bound and landed on the rampway face-to-face -face with the Kitty Diddler Velveteen Dream, that Ricochet was back in this match. And for Carmelo Hayes to beat that Ricochet was huge. I loved this match. I watched this match four times again after the thing was over because I was trying to not not do the old breakdown like I used to, but like, how did that happen? How did this happen? I mean, Trick Williams gets involved a bit at the end to give Carmelo the win, but you want to keep these guys as evenly as possible because Carmelo Hayes is going to be on the main roster eventually, and you want this guy to be as even as possible with somebody like a Rick. You want him to have uh, an already existing feud that he can walk into once he gets to the main roster, because that, that could definitely, that could be a gateway for, like, can you imagine Carmelo Hayes, Trick Williams taking on Balor and Priest, for example? Can you imagine them going after the tag titles? Can you imagine those two going against the Usos? Carmelo Hayes and either of the Usos in a solo match, uh, Trick Williams playing the heavy. It could be it could be very, very, very cool. Uh, very productive use of Ricochet. Um, it goes hand in hand with what I've been saying about SmackDown for a while now, where they've been featuring him prominently on SmackDown, and now we're going to double down on that by by not only featuring him prominently in his own right, but we also see him as a guy that can elevate other guys. I think I think Ricochet is getting a bigger shot in the arm than most people realize, and God damn, does he deserve it. Like, yes, he's one of the ones that was absolutely buried, and he was kind of made out to be like one of the superhero characters, like they did with Neville, I'll say it. Um, but he's, he, he's getting his flowers now, and he's going to make something out of this feud that he has going on right now with Corbin. Whatever the next iteration of Corbin is, whatever the rumors are with uh, Ricochet and Baron Corbin, and Baron Corbin now being apparently managed by JBL, which I don't mind in the slightest. I know there are weird people out there that don't like JBL because, oh, oh my God, he dares to have a different opinion than me, or he dares to be on a different side of the political spectrum than me, therefore he must be bad and he's never allowed to have a job again. Those people can fuck all the way off. Uh, whatever he does uh, as far as heel work will be great. Whatever he passes on in heel work to Baron Corbin, who is also underrated in his own right. Yes, Corbin is an absolute pro wrestling dork, but he does everything they hand him. And he throws himself into everything they had. Remember when he lost it? Remember when he lost all his money and he was poor and he was all like unshaven and he was playing this like down in the dumps character that still thought the world owed him something? That was good. And then he won the lottery, became Happy Corbin. I'm with a lot of people. I would love to see the old black and gold NXT um, 
like lone wolf iteration of Baron Corbin, but I don't think you can rewind that far, to be completely honest. I don't think he'll ever be taken that seriously because we'll, we will know that he has the, the happy Corbin and the corporate Corbin and the general manager Corbin in him. And if he tries to grow his hair back, that's just going to be a bit funny, I'm not going to lie. The Unified NXT Championship. This match was a mess. I could have done without this match. I'm not going to lie. Uh, Brooks Jensen and Josh Briggs versus Diamond Mind versus Gallus versus Pretty Deadly. Messy pile of people match. Um, earlier on in the night, we had seen that uh, Roddy, Roddy Strong had been taken out by somebody, and we thought it was you know one of the Creed brothers, but it wasn't. We'll talk about that later. Um, it gets down to Pretty Deadly and the Creeds, and Damon Kemp turns on the Creeds, and we find out that it's him that took out Roddy, and Pretty Deadly are your tag team champions. Yay. Um, everybody everybody got their shit in, so to speak. Uh, it wasn't a bad match by any stretch of the imagination, but they overcomplicated a concept that didn't really need to be. The only reason this became a four-way is because both the NXT and the NXT UK titles were held by NXT tag teams, and they had to write themselves a way around that to make it an amalgamation or a unification type match. And I get that. I understand that. And I do like the inclusion of Gallus. A lot of people shit on Gallus. I don't really get it. But, um... But it, it didn't hit. It didn't hit. It did what it was supposed to do. They put the titles on pretty deadly, which is fine, I suppose. They're caricatures, and that's what NXT 2.0 is made out of. Um... Casey Catanzaro and Caden Carter defeated Nikki... ASH and Dewdrop from uh, from Raw. A lot of people, including myself, thought that they were going to use their comeback to NXT as an excuse to take them back to being Piper Niven and Nikki Cross. They didn't do that. It was a perfectly fine exhibition match. Uh, Casey Cuttenzaro and uh, Caden Carter are an amazing team that I would love to see more of. I would love to see them on the main roster, I'm not going to lie. But um, they retain their titles after a run-in from Toxic Attraction, and the only positive that I can pull from that is that that must mean Gigi Dolan, uh, who was taken out a couple weeks ago with a concussion issue, must be cleared and okay to wrestle again, and that's okay. Real life is more important. Uh, so their their involvement in the end of this match, uh, in, uh, in the physical sense, tells me, okay, if she's going out there getting involved in a tag team brawl, obviously whatever, either she didn't have a concussion or the concussion she had wasn't very bad or she's recovered or whatever the okay, you're cleared now is. Um, as, we, as we recall, they were called in at the last minute to replace Zoe Stark and... I'm going to forget now. Oh, Zoe Stark and Nikita Lyons, who were put in the main roster women's tag team uh, tournament because one was injured and the other one couldn't come to Canada because... Weird vaccine laws suck, but it meant that uh, Toxic Attraction was involved, and then they weren't, and then they did the last chance battle royal, and that made the end of that tournament a little bit messy, I'm not going to lie, but as I say, getting back to my original point, uh, Catanzaro and Carter had a really good, uh, yeah, I know her name's Chance, but whatever, uh, they had a really good exhibition, they got to defend their titles, uh, Nikki Ash and Dewdrop uh, are on a bit of a weird streak right now, because they lost out on... They lost out 
on the Tag Team Championship Tournament on the main roster, and then they had an exhibition match against the new champions, and then they lost, and now they've fought these champions, and they've lost. It's not a very positive momentum thing for them, but in order for somebody to win, somebody else has to lose, and that's where it went, and above all else, Gigi Dolan seems to be ring-ready again, which is great. Um, Mandy Rose defeated Blair Davenport and Mako Satomura. I don't, as I said in the preview, I don't know very much about Mako Satomura. I loved watching her in this match. There's there's an old-school element to everything that she does, for a good reason. Blair Davenport doesn't exactly look like she's lost in the ring, and Mandy Rose, as I will always say, is incredibly underrated for stereotypical other reasons that we, we don't need to get into in this pod. I will say, Rose defeating both of them and becoming the undisputed NXT Women's Champion is going to wind up all the right people, so it's all good on that front. And then... Um, Braun Breaker and Tyler Bate just had a really good, respectful babyface versus babyface powerhouse match. The um, the thing near the end of this match really it it exemplified why I was excited to see somebody like a Tyler Bate be put in a position to elevate somebody like Braun Breaker as he goes when he's coming off the ropes and he does that sort of weird bounce against the ropes where he lowers his head and he sort of hits the ropes with his shoulders and comes back. Uh, I think it's usually a, a, a lariat of some description, but he did that, and he basically bounced himself into Braun Breaker's spear, and then went on Ziggler style to sell that spear like he was a fucking wet rag doll, and that's where not only have you made Braun Breaker look like a young kid that has studied tape and knows what that setup means and, and, and is able to read what you've done, I you know I've read your playbook, I've seen your videos, I know what that means, I can do it. And here's what I have in response, and here's Tyler Bate uh, reacting in response to what he's done in response. I hope that makes sense. But uh, they come out at the end, ridiculous respect between the two of them. At the end, he puts the belts on each one of Braun Breaker's shoulders. I wouldn't go quite as far into hyperbole as calling it a passing of the torch moment, but it was really nice. He looked like he was happy to do it. I don't know what Tyler Bate's doing from here, but I don't think he needed to be... I think he cemented his place in on his brand, because his brand is the one that's dying. I think he closed the book as nicely as he possibly could. He said it in all his promos leading up into this match, that um, he was quite happy to be the first and last NXT UK champion. And I think that's a nice way for him to for him to close out that part of his career, for WWE to close out the brand. I think there's some, some symmetry there, which is really nice. Like I said, Worlds Collide was an essential viewing. I will say Carmelo Hayes and Ricochet is a match that needs to be seen and deserve to be in front of a bigger crowd. Clash at the Castle was a lot of fun. People are getting hung up on weird things like, oh, they don't like Damage Control's new music. Damage Control was actually solidified with the faction name of Damage Control. Um, as I say, um, Giovanni Vinci coming to the to the main roster, Solo Sokoa coming to the main roster, and what that means going forward, we're going to get into momentarily. But that was the weekend, and then nothing else happened on Sunday night, did it? Uh, so we can skip right over Sunday night, because Sunday night, nothing happened. It was, it was boring, it was regular, it was fine, we don't need to worry about it. We go over to Monday Night Raw, Edge opens the show with a basically a why Dominic why speech. He calls him out, and he gets Ray instead, and Ray's, you know, making the plea for his boy. Ripley introduced the new Dominic Mysterio. He comes out looking all goth, and her her promo that was basically like, "You you you can't help but see him as your little boy, but I've made him into a man." And I'm just like, 
you're asking for all the weird shit that people are writing online about this. You really, really are. Um, Balor and Priest joined them eventually. They put a big beat down on Edge. They basically... I don't remember if they pulmonized his leg or if they just went to the to the back of the knee with the chair. And uh, on the outside, Dominic and Ripley beat up Ray while Ray tries to come back and help his friend. And it's terrible and it's horrible. And oh my God, what are we going to do now? I've lost my son. I've lost my friend. It's all very dramatic. Let's... Let's dr drastically switch gears to a fatal four-way number one contendership match for the WWE Unified Tag Team Championships with the New Day, Alpha Academy, Los Lotharios, and the Street Profits. Now, before we get to what actually happened, let me tell you how my brain works. I'm like, okay, Roman Reigns is untouchable. The bloodline, by virtue of being attached to him, is kind of untouchable. And the Usos are the tag team in the WWE. So you look at them. Alpha Academy and Los Lotharios are comedy teams. They are not going to be anything to the Usos. Street Profits and New Day, on the other side of the coin, are great rivals for the Usos, but we've seen those matches a bunch of times. Usos, Street Profits, New Day. We've seen every combination of those three teams with every combination of the New Day, considering that they're a trio. Uh, a lot of trios, a lot of factions in WWE. How are we ever going to keep track? Um, but I was like... It, you couldn't help but roll your eyes at this. And you're like, oh, I can't help but care. And the Usos are probably sitting in the back just saying, oh, I guess that's what we're doing at Extreme Rules. But no, uh, the match goes on for a little bit, and Braun Strowman returns. And it's one of those things where am I... Is he the guy I'm most excited to see come back? Not really. Like, he, he's a spectacle. He's your, your big show, your Omos, your Kane, your... I don't know, you're Lance Archer, you're Paul White, you're whoever. He's the big guy that stands there. Oh, you're uh, Dabakato, or whatever his name is. General Aziz. Although he's gone back to NXT now, and I don't know what they're calling him. It could be, you know, Commander Puffy Pants, for all I know. Um, he's just the big guy that comes out and does big guy stuff. Earlier on in the night, we saw Miz and Ciampa come in, and there was a tipped-over car. And we thought that that was going to be because of Dexter Loomis fucking with him. No, it's just, uh, it was a precursor to uh, Braun Strowman coming back, because flipping cars, specifically flipping cars involving the Miz, is something that Braun Strowman does. But Braun Strowman comes down and kills everybody. Because of course he does. You can take any, I mean, other than Otis. I'm not going to be straight into hyperbole. But you could take any two or three of the other people in this match, and they may be equal one Braun Strowman. Makes me laugh a little bit, because now you've got Scarlet, you've got uh, Karrion Cross, and you've got uh, Braun Strowman. Uh, how many more members? I mean, we'll eventually look over to the... Uh, to the elite side of things and see how, who else we can steal after we steal Cody Rhodes. But how many other people are they going to take from uh, Control Your Narrative? Because, you know, oh, nobody's paying attention to Control Your Narrative. Well, we just started off with two of them. Um, if we get EC3 back in WWE, that would be uh, great, because then I can go back to uh, calling the matches like I used to call in NXT. He, he hit the one percenter, he is the one percenter for the one, two, three, because I'm that corny. Strowman kills everybody, and everybody online loses their shit. Oh my god, they're killing the tag team division. Okay. First of all, there's a lot more tag teams in WWE than just these four. We'll get to that later. But also, which one of these four did you want to see in a competitive match with the Usos? Submit your answers down in the box below. You know, send them off to the typical address. Braun Strowman's back. Um... 
as I said, I'm not the most excited to see him, but it is the pop to have him back. Somebody like a Drew McIntyre, who, when he climbs back up to getting himself another title shot, the last rung of that ladder will be like, oh, I'll knock off Braun Strowman in a quick series of three matches before I go back to the title. He'll be that kind of, he'll be that kind of character. Raquel and Aaliyah defend against uh, Nikki and Dewdrop, and a top rope, sorry, I can't read my writing. A top rope bomb on Dewdrop by Raquel in the middle of the match was really impressive, and they win. So, yeah, Nikki and Dewdrop are still not having a good time. I want them to hit rock bottom so that they can come back as the people they were before, as we've all been talking about. Um, but we are making a point of getting the new champions on the show every week, which is good. I would say, because of the criticism that Aaliyah is getting, and, you know, the big push for this team is clearly behind Raquel, because even in the makeup of the matches, it's a whole lot of Aaliyah gets her ass kicked and Raquel saves the day. So they're not pushing a team, they're pushing Raquel. Um, it wouldn't hurt them to get a couple of, uh, you know, developmental or local enhancement talents and just have them have a couple of squash matches. Um, so that way you're keeping them <coughs> nice and strong and in everybody's mind without burying the limited tag team roster that you have. Now, there's a story cooking over on SmackDown that I would love to see, and if Ronda Rousey doesn't get herself a singles title shot, and if Shayna Baszler doesn't get herself a singles title shot, who's gonna fuck with Shayna Baszler and Ronda Rousey as a tag team? Anyways, we got Austin Theory, who, like I said before, let's celebrate, let's give him a little, uh, let's give him a golf clap and a pat on the back and say, hey, you got your first name back, that's awesome. He comes out, he's really selling the jaw from Tyson Fury, which is really cool. He talks about his failed cash-in, says he's still going to end Roman Reigns. He gets cut off by Kevin Owens. They have a bit of a promo battle. He Owens talks about, you know, if it wasn't for Jey Uso and, and Paul Heyman, he would have had his title off of Roman Reigns 16 months ago, and he wouldn't be celebrating two years as, you know, the unified champion, which he really isn't. He's only been the unified champion for about four years, but, you know, WWE math never really makes sense. Um, theory in this keeps on misspeaking. He keeps on calling pay-per-views by the wrong names, keeps on calling people by the wrong names, and he's selling it every time he grabs his jaw because he's selling it like he's been knocked loopy. So anything he says that's wrong is because, you know, Tyson Tyson Fury knocked the sense right out of his head. Um, they end up having a match, obviously. There's a, po there's a point in the match where he takes Owens down, back of the head first, into the edge of the steel steps, um, the way it was shot was great, the way Owens took it was great, the way Theory delivered it, it was great. It looked like it would have knocked somebody out. And I'm not straying into hyperbole here. I know it's fake. I'm, you know, as old as I am, we don't need to get into that. I don't think wrestling is real, but some people, <coughs> specifically people like Kevin Owens, do a really fucking good job of making it look real. Obviously, Owens gets the win. Um, it is a very tacit way of keeping Roman Reigns in everybody's mind, even when he's not around, because you've got Owens, who's making his case for getting in line for a title shot. He's got, we got Theory, who's got the briefcase, who's tried twice to cash in on it. And as I've said before, you're building a long list of people that want their shot at Roman. And what does that do? That builds the value of the belts. This company's belts actually mean something. That's all I'm saying. Damage Control come out, they cut a quick promo, they make it uh, nice and, and quick and dirty. They announce that next week there's the rematch of the finals of the tournament uh, between Aaliyah, Raquel, 
um, Io Sky and Dakota Kai for those tag team titles. Pretty sure they're going to win this time. They're going to take advantage of the inexperience of Aaliyah. I'm predicting that right now. And the return that we're all dreading is going to happen, and then I'm going to be a little bit sad. Um, Bianca comes out with a bunch of you didn't really beat me nonsense. It took you and you and you to beat me. And it's like, yeah, but you had two partners as well, so that argument doesn't really work. They're going to fight probably at Extreme Rules, and that's absolutely fine. Because coming out of Extreme Rules, if Damage Control is the female version of the Bloodline and they walk out with all the belts, it's all good. You could ha oh. If Toxic Attraction still had the tag team titles in NXT, you could have WWE versus NXT, and it would be Damage Control versus Toxic Attraction for all the, all the, all the belts. But that's that moment has passed us by. In the back, we see Gargano talking about how happy he is to be back. Austin Theory is walking through. He's pissed off because he's just lost to Kevin Owens. He's still selling the jaw. He says, you're not really Johnny wrestling because you haven't wrestled yet. And he says, well, right now you're Johnny talking. He says, well, you know, if you hadn't interrupted me, I was about to say that I'm making my in-ring debut next week. So Johnny wrestling next week is making his debut after about what, nine months of inaction, which is which is an exciting thing to begin with. So, what do we think is going to happen? What I'm predicting is going to happen, because I'm not looking at the, uh, the website right now, and the flashcards right now, I'm predicting we get Johnny Gargano versus a jobber, Johnny Gargano versus random talent number five, put him in there with somebody like a Drew Gulak or a local enhancement talent, and there'll be a run-in by Austin Theory, they'll have a little bit of a brawl, they'll announce something for Extreme Rules, and that'll be something awesome to look forward to at Extreme Rules. Nice, concise, to the point, it's all good. Ray's in the back, he offers an open challenge to anybody in the Judgment Day. I love, when it, I love whenever they say anybody in the Judgment Day, because as far as Rey Mysterio putting a challenge out, like, they're not going to book him versus Rhea Ripley, even though that would be fucking hilarious. It's going to be either him and Balor or him and Priest. So anybody in the Judgment Day, either one of you, you you two guys, any one of you. Um, eventually we get... Uh, uh, sorry, lost my place. Eventually we get Rey versus Priest. Eventually he's jumped by Balor and Ripley and Dom and Priest wins and we get the announcement that it's going to be Dominic, new goth Dominic Mysterio versus Edge next week. <coughs> oh, excuse me. We see some after, what do you want to call it, WWE.com exclusives from after Clash at the Castle. Riddle wants a rematch. Obviously, Rollins is celebrating his win, and he won't give him a rematch because he's on to bigger things. Again, going to what I said before, what does he mean by bigger things? He probably wants to get back close to Roman again. There's another person to add to the list. You've got Drew, you've got Theory, you've got Kevin Owens, you've got Roman Reigns. These are all really, I mean, we've seen some, we've seen all of them, except for Theory, because that's more of a joke. But they're all matches I wouldn't mind seeing again. Kevin Owens versus Roman Reigns, yes. Seth Rollins versus Roman Reigns, Yes, Austin Theory versus Roman Reigns. Sure, why not? It'll be hilarious. Um, the rumor going around that they're going to have Austin Theory somehow lose his Money in the Bank briefcase to Johnny Gargano is kind of hilarious. But, I mean, I'm sort of uniquely curious about what Roman Reigns versus Johnny Gargano would look like. So give me that all day. That's fine. Whatever. Um, and then our main event is Miz versus Lashley in a US title cage match. Miz has asked for the cage match against Bobby Lashley. So that's smart. He tries to square it away as 
if he's in a cage match, all he has to do is worry about the match and not worry about Dexter Loomis. But as Bobby Lashley very rightfully points out, it's like, yeah, but you're still in a cage with me. And it's like, yeah. And he's got a bit of plot armor because it's Bobby Lashley. Anyways, um, pre-match, they pull him out of the ring. There's a two-on-one assault by Ciampa. He steps on the arm. He puts the arm in the, in the, whatever you want to call it, the rigging or the truss or whatever that holds the cage together. And they ram it with the steps and all kinds of things happen to put Bobby at a disadvantage before the cage match even starts. Miz makes a pretty good accounting, even though it's even though it's an injured Bobby Lashley, he makes a pretty good accounting of himself in this main event with Bobby Lashley. So, also, we should mention, once again, the United States Championship is in the main event. How cool is that? Those belts are, are not getting any less uh, prestige as we go along. Miz goes to climb out, and they get this really weird camera angle as he's climbing down the outside of the cage, and Dexter Loomis slides out from under the ring like a mechanic sort of sliding out from under a car. And to get away from him, and this only works because it's The Miz. I'll, I'll give you that. It's silly, it's stupid. Storyline-wise, it doesn't make sense. Logically, it doesn't make sense. But it makes sense because it's The Miz. Miz thinks that the safest thing for him to do to get away from Dexter Loomis is to get back into the cage with Bobby Lashley and clearly loses after that. After the match, Dexter Loomis comes out, or sorry, comes out from under the ring, climbs up over the cage and into the ring, locks in the silence choke on The Miz, and that's how we leave Raw. Lots of fun, lots of things, lots of lots of things doing and transpiring, and, um, you know, some new things, some developing things, some build towards Extreme Rules. It's all good. Going over to NXT, and like I say, I won't do NXT every week, but we're just coming off of that particular show and thinking there was a lot of rumor and innuendo that uh, that NXT was going to be a little less 2.0. Not quite the case just yet. Tyler Bate comes out to address the crowd at the beginning, thanking them for all their love and support. Thank you for those of us that supported uh, NXT UK and gave him something to do and all that kind of thing. Gets uh, interrupted in a three-on-one beatdown by Gallus because Gallus wanted to say, hey, you let down the UK. And he's like, yeah, but you guys also lost, so there's that. So three-on-two beatdown. Um, obviously, Braun Breaker comes in to make the save. They set up the main event as a tag team match for later on in the night, and we're all set to go for the main event. Um, Worlds Collide, and it's Mako Satomura talking to Cora Jade, who asks her for a match? And he says, "I'm not going to give." And she says, "I'm not going to give you a match because I've already uh, granted a match to the very, you know, polite and congeal and respectful uh, Roxanne Perez." Um, we there's mosquitoes in here. I don't like that at all. Uh, Roxanne Perez and Mako Satamora have a great respectful match. There's a great good vibe around this whole match just because. It's obviously Mako Satomura trying to do everything she can to make Roxanne Perez look like a million bucks. Roxanne Perez is no schlub either, so there's that. Um, match ends. Mako Satomura wins. Um, they have the mutual respect after the fact, the handshake and the bowing and all that kind of thing. And then there's an attack by Cora Jade with her goth kendo stick, which is nice. Toxic Attraction versus... Uh, Nikki Ash and Dewdrop, they're trying to turn their luck around, and they do, they finally get a win. But I'm going to say once again, this path that they're on, they didn't win the tournament, and then they lost to the NXT Tag Champions, and then they lost to the main roster Tag Champions, and now they've won a match, but they're, they've won a match against the people that also lost to the champions that they lost to. So they've still got some stuff to do with them. 
Um, we build up uh, Cruz and Waller for later on. JD McDonough versus Wes Lee was a good match. Uh, I don't know what else to say other than both of these guys are still developing who the hell they are. JD McDonough's doing this weird psychotic, I know how to take a body apart and I sit in ice baths and all that kind of thing. But the thing is, like, Jordan Devlin as a wrestler, I like, and check it off your Spice Phoenix bucket list. I actually met Jordan Devlin at a Destiny show. Not that he was wrestling on that show, but he was there because I think, um, Mustache Mountain and Tyler, and not Tyler Bate, um, Mustache Mountain and Pete Dunne were on that show, and he just happened to be there with them, which I think was really cool. Um, that was the show initially that was supposed to be Josh Alexander versus Walter, and then Walter had to pull out at the last minute, so we got the Mustache Mountain guys instead. Anyways, and Wes Lee is missing his tag team partner still because his tag team partner got fucked over by the way the world is. I'll just leave it at that. So he's, I think, I'm a huge fan of Wes Lee. I think he's fantastic in the ring, but I think he's still finding his feet as a guy not looking to the corner for that tag, if that makes any sense at all. Um, we've got Pretty Deadly who've been walking around over the course of the evening. Uh, everybody's snickering at them and saying, you know, you only really have those tag team titles because Damon Kemp turned on his team and whatever. Tony D and Stax are running a cafe. They're serving frappe lattes or some other bullshit and, you know, coffee gets thrown around and it's very, it's very backstage character, not wrestling stuff. Um, Vic and... Wade Barrett announced that next week is the one-year anniversary of 2.0. That's really depressing. Moving on. Ricochet takes on Trick Williams. Ricochet gets the win. Carmelo Hayes is on commentary. It's all good. And the Creeds get a match, sorry, get a rematch next week for the Undisputed NXT Tag Team Championships, which is fine. Nathan Frazier and Axiom, who I predicted for the Worlds Collide show, were having a two out of three falls match. I was completely wrong. They are having a best of three series starting tonight. Um, I can't really say anything other than for two guys that I don't know, wicked, amazing, acrobatic, high-flying match. If you want me to be perfectly honest, I didn't even, even write down who won. All I know is we're going to see these guys fight at least once, possibly twice more, and I can't, uh, I can't complain about that because, yeah, wicked high-flying stuff. Breaker and Bait obviously defeat Gallus because you've got the two, oh, sorry, you've got the one guy that holds both belts and the other guy that used to hold one of the belts taking on the guys with no belts. And they're, you know, they don't treat Gallus like main eventers. They just came over to this brand like three weeks ago. So that's fine. Um, so they get the win. This is all set up so that we have a moment at the end of the night for JD McDonough to attack Tyler Bate out of nowhere, which means we're going to get a reprisal of what was a pretty good feud in NXT UK, which is Jordan Devlin versus Tyler Bate, which is awesome. Um, did we do a whole lot of unneeded hoopla to get there? Did we throw Gallus in the mix just to get beat? Did we throw Braun Breaker in there just so Bate could have a tag team partner because we don't have Trent Seven anymore? Not going there. As in, not going there. Um, so we took the long road to get there, but Ultimately, we've got a new feud for Tyler Bate. Braun, uh, now that he doesn't have the titles anymore, Braun Breaker is going on as their unified NXT champion, and everybody's kind of doing okay. NXT, like I say, won't be covering it every week. This is mostly going to be a Raw and SmackDown show. If something big happens on NXT, we can do we can deal with that as we go. 
Switching gears over to SmackDown, and I've been talking for way too long, so if I sound like I'm dragging on, I really do apologize. If you've listened this far, put it down in the comment section below, because I'd be surprised if you guys want me to ramble on for this long. I'm covering five shows on a podcast where I plan to typically only be covering two or three. Bear with me. You're bearing with me so far. If you're still listening, I appreciate you. I love you. And this is the first episode, so why not make it big? SmackDown. Uh, we won't have Pat McAfee for a while because he's doing football stuff. He's been all over social media letting everybody know I'm not done with WWE. I still love you guys. I will be back. Da, 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 da. Uh, Michael Cole on Raw saying, you know, there's going to be a seat for Pat McAfee as soon when he's done with the football stuff and he gets back here. And in the meantime, we get Graves, which is cool. I like this only because everybody was speculating, oh my god, who are they going to do? They're going to get in, like, guest commentators, or they're going to put a wrestler in there every week and whatever. And that would be fine. It would be okay. It would be a lot of fun. But you, the minute you do that, you make the show about who's on commentary. And commentary makes a show, don't get me wrong, but you don't want to make your show about who's on commentary. Remember when they had heel Michael Cole for a while, and he was taking more focus than the actual wrestlers in the ring? How bad was that? So you take a voice that everybody's already familiar with, that they already listened to for three hours on a Monday, put them on, on SmackDown on a Friday, things aren't that different, it doesn't take away from the show, and the show can just move on. You took a part out from here, you slot in another part from over here, and you just carry on. So the fact that it wasn't a huge surprise or a huge exciting announcement is the better choice in this regard. I, I, I don't know if you guys are going to agree with me on that, and that's fine. We can, we can agree to disagree, but that's where I find on that. We start off nice and big, full force, three-on-three, three, Imperium versus the Brawl and Brutes. Everybody in this match feels a little bit more like themselves. Like I said, um, Gunther is starting to feel more like Walter. Um, Butch is starting to feel way more like uh, like Pete Dunne. Uh, the, the groups as a whole, like Imperium as a group, feel like Imperium. They did the first little bit of the Imperium music and then switched it into Gunther's new music. I don't like that. That's that's not great. But they're like, back to having them in black. They had Walter coming out in that weird red stuff for a while, and that didn't quite work, so they've, they've, they've scaled it back. They've gone back to what clearly works. Um, it's Imperium 2.0, I guess, because all three of them have the different names now, but that's... That's something that they're going to deal with. I mean, the people that had half names for a while now are back to having full names, so let's at least be happy about about that. Pete Dunne going back to doing his trademark uh, joint manipulation, breaking the finger stuff, just made me a happy guy, and that, that makes me a very weird person. Like I said, Pete Dunne in proper NXT, Pete Dunne in NXT UK, and yes, check it out. Your Spaz Phoenix bucket list, sit in front row at the Destiny shows when Pete Dunne was the Destiny World Champion. Um... Pete Dunne doing his, like, small, subtle joint manipulation stuff is so fucking good. Until he tried to do it to Gunther, and Gunther caved in his chest and knocked the soul out of him. Now, Imperium are the newer group. The Brawling Brutes have been a group for a while. Imperium, in full force, has only existed for a week. Made sense that they got the win here, which is really, really cool. 
the Usos come out to introduce the new the new uh, bloodline. I was about to say the new Us. That doesn't work. But they come out with Sammy. Jay's still having trouble with Sammy. Jimmy's still doing the secret handshakes with, with Sammy, which is driving Jay nuts. They introduce Solo Sokoa. There's no Roman Reigns here, but they get we get a video package on Solo Sokoa from NXT. So here you go. For those of you that don't know who this guy is, here's what he is. We've got this great introduction during the pay-per-view. Tonight we're going to give you a video package. Tonight we're going to let him speak, etc. Now, here's where it gets cool. First of all, I wanted to say a nice little thing. Now, this could have gone either way. I personally think it's awesome that the Usos were out there to introduce Solo Sokoa and not Roman Reigns. Not only because, like, they're, like yeah, Roman's his cousin, but the Usos are his older brothers. So for them, personally, it's got to be a cool thing. But also... They are the version of the bloodline that is always going to be there. So the Usos, in Roman's absence, sort of take over the reins of that thing. Yes, pun, again, very much intended. So they're taking over that role in the bloodline in introducing the new member of the bloodline, and Sammy's just doing his typical stuff. He tries to, you know, offer Solo Sokoa a hug, and Solo kind of looks at him like, who the fuck is this guy? But then you get Drew McIntyre coming down with a chair because he's pissed off because Solo Sokoa cost him the championship. Very, very cool psychological shit happened here. He came down with the chair. Everybody scattered. Sammy ran out of the ring. The Usos ran out of the ring. Solo Sokoa didn't. He stood in the center of the ring. He said, you want to go? Let's fucking go. Ate a chair shot from Drew McIntyre, and as soon as that happened, Sammy Guevara was there to take the second shot. He took the shot to the back before the thing all ended and before they finally got out of there. Even at that point, Solo Sokoa was saying, okay, you want to go tonight? Let's go tonight. Now, what I like about that is, A, you've set apart Solo Sokoa from the Usos just a little bit. Like, the Usos will fuck you up if you give them a chance. But when they scattered, he stood on his own as the guy that, hey, I know I'm the new guy here. I got to prove myself. I'll dig my feet in right here. Let's go. But when that happened, Sammy, who's been taking the bullets for everybody, took the bullet for him as well. And when they had a... When they had another segment in the back with the with the bloodline as a whole, he actually said, like, hey, you know, my cousin said that you were somebody I could count on, and now I can see that he was right. And you see Jay in the background, and the, the story of this is so fucking beautiful, because now you've got Roman that's kind of sort of okay with Sammy being there. you got Jimmy, who thinks the whole thing's hysterical. you got Sola Sokoa, who's just come in and is showing Sammy respect as, like, part of the group. And you got Jay sort of pouting in the corner. And it's fucking great. When it blows up, it's going to be fucking wonderful. Also, also, I do want to say, because, okay, t leave Sammy Guevara, or Sammy, not Sammy Guevara, Sammy Guevara is awesome, but that's another story for another day. Leave Sammy Zayn out of this for a second, and Roman Reigns is a part-timer. You got three guys there, you got the Usos and Solo Sagoa as a trio. Tell me you don't want to see them as a trio going up against the Brawling Brutes. Tell me you don't want to see them as a trio going up against... Uh, Imperium. Tell me you don't want to see them as a trio going up against, oh, who hasn't come up from NXT just yet, but we know that they're coming? The Usos and Solo Sokoa versus Legato Del Fantasma? Fucking yes, please. Let's go. Um, what's next? What's next? What's next? Raquel and Aaliyah take on Toxic Attraction in a non-title match and get the win, which is, again, underlining, underlining before uh, my whole idea of, well, if they're getting back involved again, obviously Gigi Dolan is ready to be back in the ring again. I don't need to go over that again, but it's nice to see them on SmackDown again, even if they're not getting... If they're going to lose, at least they're losing to the champions. So that's cool. They're another uh, another pair that you can throw into the mix 
there, and then find out subsequently from, I think it was what culture? Maybe not, I could be wrong. Apparently the call-up for Toxic Attraction to SmackDown is like a full call-up. It's not just swapping between swapping between the brands. So that's kind of cool. It will be interesting to see if, if Mandy Rose joins them after uh, she drops her title to whoever she drops her title to. Probably Roxanne Perez, let's be real. Um, but it's but it's it's all it's all good. Um, like I say, it's nice to see them after they got taken out of the tournament because their part of the tournament was on SmackDown, so that makes all kinds of sense. And <coughs> it gives the champions momentum as they go in to defend against Damage Control on Monday. Everything works. Then we have a number one contendership match for the other title, Liv Morgan, who's just successfully beaten Ronda Rousey twice and defended against Shayna Baszler. Now needs a new opponent for Extreme Rules. Ronda Rousey has been reinstated after beating the shit out of Adam Pearce last week on the pre-recorded show. Michael Cole talking to the camera about possible legal action for what has become an unsafe and unhealthy backstage environment did good things to my fucking soul. Because yes, WWE flying, AEW dying, it's good. It's really really good. So we got a fatal five-way match. Elimination. Xia Lee, Sonya Deville, uh, Natalia, returning Lacey Evans, who's again back out of nowhere, and Ronda Rousey. I love how Lacey Evans is still a heel. She goes back, she, she runs down the rampway during her entrance like she's gonna high-five somebody and then smacks her own ass. Nice. I like it. Um... Where's my notes? Where's my notes? Rhonda and Sonya take out the other three, and then it's down to the two of them. And for about 20 or 30 seconds, we got a preview of another rivalry that I would like to see at some point, because when we talk about the MMA folks, we talk about Brock Lesnar, we talk about Matt Riddle, because he gets his first name back, which is awesome. We talk about Ronda Rousey, we talk about Shayna Baszler. We always forget about Sonya Deville, who's also got the MMA background. So anytime you get to see her with Rhonda, like we did tonight, or on, on this week's SmackDown, or if we get a chance to see her with Shayna Baszler in, in a serious feud, not using her as backup because she's like a weird authority figure, is going to be a lot of fun. Give me more of that. But Ronda taps out Sonya because, of course, she does. And Ronda is going to go in, on to Extreme Rules to face Liv Morgan. Now, if they want to keep on going with the Liv Morgan acknowledging that her opponents are MMA people... She beat Ronda Rousey twice. She beat Shayna Baszler after getting MMA advice from Matt Riddle. This has to be a cage match, right? Like, the, the, like Extreme Rules is basically like, here's the pay-per-view of gimmicks, right? So this has to be a cage match. So the way I see it going, at least in the initial stages, because Ronda also talked with Shayna Baszler in the back and said, you know, hey, you're putting on a brave face, but I, I know you're kind of pissed off that you lost on uh, on the weekend, I know you're pissed off that I've got the shot now, you know, when you're ready to buck up and, and uh, take this place over, you go ahead and let me know, like, she's really egging her on, so if we get a situation where Liv Morgan defeats Ronda Rousey again, because Shayna Baszler comes in and takes out Rousey, because Baszler's sick of Ronda Rousey's shit, 
and that means that Liv can go this direction with her championship, and those two can go in the other direction, because them just fighting on their own is enough of a story, that would be fantastic for SmackDown, but because I've just said it, now it's not going to happen. We got some character stuff, some right out of 2.0 stuff coming up next, with an eight-person tag with the maximum male models, and Lost Lotharios taking on Hit Row, and the Street Profits. I mean, the baby faces win, there's a distraction on the outside when Maxine Dupree and B-Fab get into an argument. Uh, one of them comes through the ropes and boots Max Dupree in the head, and that distraction leads to the baby faces winning. There is a rumor going around that Maxine Dupree is going to take on Maximum Male Models and Max Dupree is going to go back to being L.A. Knight. Yeah! So if we do that, then that's really good. I mean, I'm not spending very much time on this, but it was what it was. Maximum Male Models are characters. Los Lotharios are characters. Hit Row are characters. And the Street Profits are lending a bit of their actual tag team title history cred to this eight-person tag. Um, but hey, at least we didn't throw Bianca Belair into the mix. Um, Otis and Gable come out to talk about Strowman fucking with them on Raw, costing them a tag team title shot, among other things. Strowman comes out kills both of them, nails this absolutely ridiculous powerbomb on Otis, and we get on with our fucking day. Our main event for SmackDown is Drew McIntyre versus Solo Sokoa. So Solo Sokoa gets to debut, make his first appearance in a world title match at a big stadium pay-per-view, and then his first actual match, uh, sorry, the first actual match that he has is in the main event of SmackDown, which is always really, really good. It starts off one-on-one, -on -one and they, even though there's interference from the rest of the bloodline, they still present this as a match where Solo Sokoa is holding his own with Drew McIntyre, which is important because you can have the numbers advantage, but the numbers advantage is more intimidating if those numbers include people that could have kicked your ass individually anyway. Um... Four on one. Uh, Street Profits eventually come out and try and help because, you know, we haven't seen enough of them this week. And even still, even still, Drew McIntyre, because he's the hero, he's now in a, what, four on three advantage, even with the Street Profits' help. It ends in a disqualification in Drew McIntyre's favor because out of nowhere, the picture suddenly goes black and white and Scarlett and Karrion Cross are on the other side of the ring. Karrion Cross sits there and chokes him out and they do a dramatic fade to black to end the show. <laughs> so this was cheesy as hell. The whole cutting to, cutting to black and white as soon as Karrion Cross was involved was awesome. It wound up all the right people. The super dramatic fade to black because he was being choked out was awesome. But here's the thing as well. Look at Raw, look at SmackDown. Raw ended with interference from Dexter Loomis in a major, in a major main event where <coughs> he gets choked out after the fact as we go off the air. And they do the exact same thing with Karrion Cross. So... Whether you like them, whether you don't like them, the newer either rehires or NXT call-ups that are sh showing up on these main roster shows are getting prominent spots. Dexter Loomis is getting a prominent spot. Uh, Solo Sokoa is immediately in a prominent spot. Karrion Cross, rightfully so, is in a prominent spot. So if nothing else, if nothing else, we have we have sort of fixed how the NXT call-ups are handled and how the titles are handled, 
Uh, like I say, right now it's Imperium and the Brawling Brutes having three-on-three -three matches, but that does all circle around Gunther having the Intercontinental Championship. We ended off Raw with Bobby Lashley defending the United States Championship in that cage match. The, um, the main world title is made more important, like Absence Makes the Heart Grow Fonder, by Roman Reigns being a part-timer. I know people hate that. I know people hate that because, oh, it's, it's, it's Brock Lesnar syndrome, but it does mean when Roman Reigns does show up, that it's more important. Uh, we are building our women's feuds. We have Ronda Rousey versus Liv, with Shayna Baszler's just kind of on the sidelines. We have Bianca Belair versus Bailey, and Bailey's got her group behind her. We do have tag teams that are that are fighting and scratching and clawing to get a shot at the Usos, but good luck with that one. And we have um, we have a pay per view to look forward to in in the realm of Extreme Rules. So I'm going to go with. This is how I'm going to try and close out these new pods as I'm trying to like play around with format. Like I say, usually it's going to be a lot shorter, maybe no NXT, and there won't be pay-per-views and stuff. So don't take this as the, as the concrete thing. But what are the takeaways? The bloodline is stronger. The Imperium is back to being at full strength. Strowman is back. Whether you like him, whether you don't like him, that's up to you. The crossover between all the brands continues. The tag team situation uh, with the Fatal 4-Way was an example on Monday. The women's tag team titles are designed to be a floating championship. We've had Raw and SmackDown stars on NXT. We've got Toxic Attraction more than once coming up to SmackDown to mix in with that. So brand crossover is a thing. People that like to nail WWE to the wall while they're, while they're not following their own brand separation... It's, it's kind of going into the toilet now because that's not the point anymore. Um, Drew now has something to do. Much like, much like Tyler Bate now has something to do with a J.D. McDonough feud now that he's lost his championship. Drew has lost his championship opportunity, but he still has a feud going on with Karrion Cross, And it's not like we've just thrown him into something brand new. The Cross thing was already brewing while he was on his way to his title shot. So it, it's we're creating... You're doing this right now, but you're also going to do this later, and after that, you're also going to do this later. And just in general, uh, over on Raw, the Kevin Owens push, is, is it keeps going, and that's going to be great. And him versus Roman Reigns, when it happens, is going to be great. Him on the mic versus the Bloodline, with his buddy Sami Zayn in their ranks, is going to be a story to tell when we get there. I will say as well, I am still waiting for Legato. I, I, I know I've already mentioned them. I'm mentioning them again. We we know we have them on the horizon because the way they left NXT with the whole like everybody hop in the van. I hope you guys are coming too. Like if you say hey, are you guys coming too? That means you're going somewhere. Um, so I'm gonna say they should go to SmackDown because there's a lot. Like I said before, there's a lot of trios forming, and I'm, this is not a AEW dig. This is just a thing that's happening. You've got the Bloodline, which is mostly the Usos and Solo Sokoa with Roman not there. Uh, you've got Imperium at full strength. You've got the Brawling Brutes. You've got, uh, like I say, Legato when they get there. You've got any number of like, hey, here's a tag team plus me that you could that you could throw together. You know, you get one more, add one more person to the Judgment Day, and you could do you could do that whole thing. And I mean, if they came in with Electro Lopez and they started feuding with Hit Row again, you could get Electro Lopez versus B Fab, and that would be just fine by me. On Raw tonight, because it'll be tonight by the time you're listening to this, we've got the uh, tag team title match between Aaliyah 
uh, Raquel Gonzalez and Damage Control. You've got Dominant New Goth Dom Mysterio taking on Edge, and Gargano returns to action against somebody. On and then on SmackDown, we've got the replay of the match that Braun Strowman stole from us this past week on Raw, which is the New Day, the Street Profits, the uh, uh, the Alpha Academy, and Los Lotharios number one contendership for the uh, undisputed WWE Tag Team Champions and the Usos, presumably at Extreme Rules. That's it. That's all. This is the fir very first episode, the very long-winded first episode of WWE last week. Let me know what you guys think down in the box below. Please keep in mind that it's usually going to be a lot shorter. I've been Spaz, your YWC reality check. Subscribe up there. Talk down there. Start a conversation. Keep all these conversations going. Don't be a stranger. I will talk to each and every last one of you later, but for right now, I am tagging out. Bye, guys.